and welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. In this episode, I will critique the work of a little-known artist, you may or may not have heard of him, by the name of Pablo Picasso. Of course, all joking aside, Pablo Picasso was a Spanish painter, sculptor, printmaker, ceramicist, stage designer, poet, playwright, a whole bunch of different stuff, um, who spent most of his adult life in France. He is regarded as one of the most influential artists of the 20th century. And he is also known for co-founding the Cubist movement, the invention of constructed sculpture. If this is your first time listening to an episode of the ASMR Critic, the concept is pretty straightforward. I take an artist, filmmaker, creator, and I critique his or her's work um, using my little artistic knowledge and simple-minded approach to most things in life. And I provide my commentary and rambles throughout the episode. I'm not an expert of art, simply an expert on my opinion. So, without further ado, let's start critiquing the work of Pablo Picasso. Our first is Le Demoiselle d'Avignon. So you can see how good my French is these days. Also called The Young Ladies of Avignon, originally titled The Brothel of Avignon, is a large oil painting created in 1907 by Pablo Picasso. The work is part of the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art and portrays five nude female prostitutes in a brothel or on... on... It's giving me something here. Street of Avignon, I guess it means. A street in Barcelona. Each figure is depicted in a disconcerting, confrontational manner, and none is conventionally feminine. The women appear slightly menacing and are rendered with angular and disjointed body shapes. The figure on the left exhibits facial features and dress of Egyptian or Southern Asian style. The two adjacent figures are shown in the Iberian style of Picasso's native Spain, while the two on the right are shown with African mask-like features. The racial primitism evoked in these masks, according to Picasso, moved him to, quote, liberate an utterly original artistic style of compelling, even savage force, end quote. In this adaptation of primitivism and abandonment of perspective in favor of a flat, two-dimensional picture plane, Picasso makes a radical departure from traditional European painting. This proto-cubist work is widely considered to be seminal in the early development of both cubism and modern art. Le Demoiselle was revolutionary and controversial and led to widespread anger and disagreement even amongst the painter's closest associates and friends. Matisse considered the work something of a bad joke 
it indirectly reacted to it in his 1908 Bathers with a Turtle. Georges Braque, too, initially disliked the painting, yet perhaps more than anyone else studied the work in great detail. And in fact, the subsequent friendship and collaboration with Picasso led to the Cubist Revolution. Its resemblance to Cezanne's The, Bather, the Bathers, Paul Gauguin's statue Oviri, and El Greco's opening of the fifth seal has been widely discussed by later critics. At the time of its first exhibition in 1916, the painting was deemed immoral. The work, painted in Picasso's studio in Paris, was seen publicly for the first time at the Salon d'Atene in July 1916. So, here's my commentary from a very non-technical, um, really not non-expert opinion. But I guess that is the beauty of art, isn't it? Is you really don't have to be an opinion, you know, to have an opinion or to discuss work. For me, it's very interesting. I like the use of the colors, the pink flesh contrasting against the silver-blue formations. It's definitely unique in that it's vaguely childish in terms of its presentation, and yet very complicated in the sense that it's expressing anatomically correct figures, for the most part, that is. So it's abstract, but it's not as abstract as something like Jackson Pollock's work, which we've, you know, already discussed on one edition of the ASMR Critic. So I can say I enjoy it. If I were an art aficionado, I could understand the appeal of hanging this on my wall. Um, but, yeah, this is also without the quote-unquote, let's say, moral controversy that uh, accompanied uh, the work when it originally came out. But, overall, for me personally, I think it's quite beautiful, and... Um, I I give it a thumbs up. This episode, we're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. Up next, we have Guernica. Guernica is a large 1937 oil painting on canvas, on canvas, excuse me, by, of course, Picasso. One of Picasso's best-known works, Guernica is regarded by many art critics as one of the most moving and powerful anti-war paintings in history. It is exhibited in the Museo Reina Sofia in Madrid. The gray, black, and white painting, which is 3.49 meters or 11 foot 5 inches tall and 7.6 meters or 25 feet 6 inches across, portrays the suffering of people and animals wrenched by violence and chaos. Prominent in the composition are a gored horse, a bull, screaming women, dismemberment, and flames. Picasso painted Guernica at his home in Paris in response to the bombing of Guernica, a Basque country town in northern Spain by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy at the request of the Spanish nationalists. Upon completion 
Guernica was exhibited at the Spanish display at the 1937 Paris International Exposition and then at other venues around the world. The touring exhibition soon became famous and widely acclaimed, and it helped bring worldwide attention to the Spanish Civil War. In January 1937, while Pablo Picasso was living in Paris on Rue de Grand Augustin, he was commissioned by the Spanish Republican government to create a large mural for the Spanish pavilion at the 1937 World Fair. Picasso, who had last visited Spain in 1934 and would never return, was the honorary director in exile of the Prado Museum. Picasso worked somewhat dispassionately from January until late April on the project's initial sketches, which depicted his perennial theme of an artist studio. Then, immediately upon hearing reports of the bombing of Guernica, as just mentioned, poet Juan Larrea visited Picasso's home to urge him to make the bombing his subject. Days later, on May the 1st, Picasso read George Teeter's eyewitness account on the attack, which originally had been published in both the Times and the New York Times on April 28th. So, that's a bit of context, a bit of uh, information. Let's talk about the composition, maybe from a technical perspective, and I'll kind of give you my thoughts. The scene occurs within a room where, on the left, a wide-eyed bull stands over a grieving woman holding a dead child in her arms. In the center of the room, a horse falls in agony with a large gaping hole on its side, as if it had just been run through by a spear or javelin. The horse appears to be wearing chainmail armor, decorated with vertical tally marks arranged in rows. A dismembered soldier lies under the horse. The hand of his severed right arm grasps a shattered sword from which a flower grows. The open palm of the soldier's left contains a stigma, a symbol of martyrdom derived from the stigmata of Christ. A bare light bulb in the stage of an eye blazes over the suffering horse's head. To the horse's upper right, a frightened female figure appears to have floated into the room through a window and witnesses the scene. She carries a flame-lit lamp and holds it near the bare bulb. From the right below the flowing figure, an awestruck woman staggers towards the center, looking into the blazing light bulb with a blank stare. On the far right, another woman, her arms raised with terror, is entrapped by fire from above and below. Her right hand suggests the shape of an airplane. A dark wall with an open door defines the right side of the room. There are two, quote-unquote, hidden images formed by the horse that appears in Guernica. First is a human skull overlays the horse's body. And number two, a bull appears to gore the horse from underneath. The bull's head is formed mainly by the horse's entire front leg, which has the knee on the ground. The leg's kneecap forms the head's nose. The, yes, the head's nose. A horn appears within the horse's breast. 
The bull's tail formed the image of a flameless smoke rising from it, seemingly appearing in a window created by the lighter shade of gray surrounding it. In my opinion, it is a pretty phenomenal uh, work of art, in my opinion. Uh, and when you consider its historical context, it makes it more amazing to consider. It's similar to the painting just discussed, and um, in what some of it comes off as childish in its simplicity. And that's what I mean by childish, not... That for me is what I think really appeals to me so far about Picasso's work is there are very specific and very there's a very um, let's call it intentional effort behind some of the symbolism that's there it's not by accident it's entirely by by design and every detail is well thought out but in terms of how it's actually presented on canvas is what for me makes it um, really phenomenal. It's, it's almost like this simplistic, again, childish in that it's it's not it's not like a self-portrait, for example, that you know requires a ton of technical detail. So for me, that's what makes it even more difficult. Is you're conveying death and war and terror on a work of art without relying on the literal technical side of it so it's I think art in its purest form you know the, the purposeful lack of colors and and the shading of gray to indicate fire and the, the bull and the horse kind of combined to form its own image you know, independently, they represent one thing, but then they kind of come together and represent a larger point to the work. So, once again, I will give Guernica double thumbs up. And I like it so far um, better than the first one. Up next, we have Self-Portrait 1901 by Picasso. The first two I basically gave some background to, maybe some technical information. This one I'm just going to look at and give you my initial reaction from looking at this work by Picasso. And then we can jump into some of the technical, you know, historical details and background. For me it's interesting because the, the same kind of childish quality that I gravitated towards in the first two examples the first two works that we were discussing. Those I enjoyed so much because, again, there are extremely dark, intentional meanings behind both works. And that cubist, abstract, I keep referring it to childish in terms of its composition, because I'm not an expert, probably. But that for me I really enjoyed. But in self-portrait, it's almost like it's a blue background. It's him. He's almost like ghostly white, wearing a dark blue, looks to be like a trench coat. 
and it's not that it's bad it's that it's not exactly a lifelike self-portrait it's not as if it's a work of art that's going to give you the impression of you know is this a a picture I'm looking at or or um, a work of art so while being good it's I think if you see it it almost strikes me as it, it almost strikes me as like an intermediate level artist working on self-portraits which perhaps that's the thing is an artist that's good at self-portraits and sort of lifelike um, portraits maybe not the same as someone who's excellent at abstract or landscape or whatever the case may be I do like the blue background I think it's pretty interesting I like his use of colors I do think that's always very purposeful is he draws your eyes to very specific parts of the canvas um, I'll get into some of the details now like El Greco and Vincent van Gogh his illustrious predecessors in the genre Picasso seems to have had a predilection predilection for the self-portrait where the external image of the man becomes infused with the subjection subjective projection of the artist throughout his long career he painted various likenesses of himself that reveal his progress in life and art this self-portrait painted during his second stay in Paris in the winter of 1901 was the end of a series and marked the beginning of the blue period so that makes sense if he's getting into the blue period you know the first thing I mentioned I think about his self-portrait was precisely the blue background which I thought was I mean again I love his use of colors but again from a technical side it's if you're doing a self-portrait you would think it's but I guess I'll give him a bit more credit there because if he's kind of it's I guess a loose take on a self-portrait it's a self-portrait which doesn't just include what he sees in the mirror but some sort of subjectivity in terms of I guess what he feels so I guess it gives it uh, a bit more of an interesting factor there Picasso was only 20 years old at the time but he appears considerably older in this portrait his face is drawn is drawn and gaunt from the hardships of the Parisian winter the livid pallor of the face relieved only by the orange tint of the lips the scraggy beard and the high-collared great coat and the enshrouds that enshrouds the body all heighten the feeling of sadness and solitude that emanates from the canvas the use of cool tones especially the deep purple of the coat and the light almost anemic brushwork overall except in the face are completely in keeping with the stark ascetic image the fluid contour of the gray coat which is treated in broad vertical areas separated by a black line recalls the influence of Gauguin the psychological intensity expressed in the artist's somber and almost hallucinatory gaze is reminiscent of self-portraits by Vincent van Gogh 
so there's one other line here I want to mention in this uncompromising vision of himself Picasso makes no secret of the trials and tribulations that beset the young artist but he does not fail prey to sentimentality the Spaniard still has his pride so with that in mind you know I think I still stand by what I said initially it's actually kind of underwhelming in terms of quality and in terms of what I thought Picasso 20 years old would look like but I guess it almost looks like a bad like like camera filter you know over a blue wall in your home but I guess with self-portrait I'm I'm not giving him the credit for some of those small details again I'm not I'm an expert on my opinion, not an expert in art. And um, when you factor in some of the symbolism and some of the very intentional use of colors, which even in my initial reaction I gave him, um, there's always a lot more to meet than meets the eye, it seems like, with uh, Picasso's work. So for me, it's my, le it's my third favorite so far. I'll still give it a thumbs up because in reality again I think when you consider some of the context and when you can read a bit about the artistic side of it the technical details it makes it um, better for sure so thumbs up up next we have what may be the last uh, work discussed in this edition because I think I want to do multiple editions of Pablo Picasso, is The Weeping Woman, 1937. The Weeping Woman series is regarded as a thematic continuation of the tragically depicted in Picasso's epic painting, Guernica, which we already discussed. In focusing on the image of a woman crying, the artist was no longer painting the effects of the Spanish Civil War directly, but rather referring to a singular universal image of suffering. Picasso's insistence that we imagine ourselves into the excoriated face of this woman, into her dark eyes, was part of his response to seeing newspaper photographs of the Luftwaffe's bombing of Guernica on behalf of Franco in the Spanish Civil War on April 26, 1937. The Weeping Woman came at the end of the series of paintings, prints, and drawings that Picasso made in protest. It has very personal Spanish sources. In May 1937, Picasso's mother wrote to him from Barcelona that smoke from the burning city during the fighting made her eyes water. The Matter Dolorosa the weeping version is a traditional image in Spanish art often represented in lurid Baroque sculptures with glass tears like the very solid ones that flows towards this woman's right ear Picasso's father an artist made one the family home so I would say that this is probably my second favorite work by Picasso so far just in terms of what appeals to me it's kind of creepy in terms of its presentation that's not what I like about it it kind of looks like a painting you'd see in the background 
of the movie, like Coco. But in terms of the use of color and how interesting the work is itself, I really dig it. I like seeing art that's complicated, that tells a real story, and even if I can't relate to the story, which in this case he's trying just to appeal to the sense of universal suffering, let's say, but even if I can't fully appreciate the work itself, I like the, I like thoughtful works of art. And I guess me being a very simple-minded um, kind of guy, I want to be able to take something tangible and understand something tangible from a work of art. This is This was my biggest problem with Jackson Pollock, which is, for the most part, I'm just seeing squiggly lines. With Picasso, maybe I don't understand the bigger picture, but I can certainly extract something uh, that makes me think. So, there you go. Up next, and I do think this is the last one, is The Old Guitarist, 1903. I like this one a lot. The Old Guitarist was painted in 1903, just after the suicide death of Picasso's close friend, Sasegmas. During this time, the artist was sympathetic to the plight of the downtrodden and painted many canvases depicting the miseries of the poor, the ill, and those cast out of society. He too knew what it was like to be impoverished, having been nearly penniless during all of 1902. This work was created in Madrid, and the distorted style um, is reminiscent of the works of El Greco. So the image itself is this bent and sightless man holds close to him a large round guitar. Its brown body represents the painting's only shift in color. Both physically and symbolically, the instrument fills the space around the solitary figure who seems oblivious to the blindness and poverty as he plays. At the time the painting was made, literature of the symbolist movement included blind characters who possessed powers of inner vision. The, the thin, skeleton-like figure of the blind musician also has roots in art from Picasso's native country, Spain. The old man's elongated limbs and cramped, angular posture recall the figures of the great 16th century artist El Greco. A perfect companion piece is Wallace Stevens' poem, The Man with the Blue Guitar. The poet puts words to Picasso's belief that art is the lie to help us see the truth. So it's a very somber painting indeed. It's excellent technically. Um, it's better technically than Picasso's self-portrait, let's put it that way. Similar to The Weeping Woman, it's an interesting piece of art that uses color in a very purposeful way to tell a story. I think he achieves his goal of the painting telling a sad story to shine some light on those who have 
you know, maybe been forgotten by society's opinion. And again, much like all of Picasso's work so far, there are, there's symbolism, both very clear and sometimes maybe a bit hidden in the uh, canvas that you can take and you can start making um, some assumptions and you can start making, uh, you know, start applying some of your opinions, let's say. And for me, this is a good example. And for me, it's very good technically. It's it's a very clear work of art in terms of what you see that has a clear message back, but it also includes some of those, let's call them Easter eggs, that make the work more interesting. So this I'll give a double thumbs up. And I think with that, that is the last work of art that will be discussed uh, by Pablo Picasso on this episode of the ASMR Critic. Obviously there are quite a few more that I could explore. If you want a part two, just let me know. I'd be happy to make a part two, thinking about doing it anyway uh, for Picasso. What are your thoughts on the works I discussed this episode? You can send me your questions, opinions, your own critiques to hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening and take care.